Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg, and I'm your host. Today, we'll be talking to Eric Barnstedt from Microsoft about the role OPC UA plays in industrial IoT. Among other things, he will explain us what industrial IoT is. He'll tell us what role Microsoft plays in industrial IoT. He'll talk about open source, about their involvement with the OPC Foundation, Microsoft products with OPC UA, the Azure Industrial IoT Platform, security, and the future for OPC UA within Microsoft. Okay, let's go for it. Hi, Eric. Long time no see. Thanks for joining. How are you? I'm great, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Um, sitting at my home office, as I have normally been doing, but during COVID-19 times, we'll come to it later, uh, even more than before. Sun is shining in the Munich area. Fantastic. Yeah. So at least we have sunshine, eh? <laughs> That's right. So please, Eric, introduce yourself to our listeners. Where are you from? What have you been doing before Microsoft? What's your role at Microsoft? And what is your and Microsoft's involvement to date with OPC technology and the OPC Foundation? Great. Yeah. So my name is Eric Barnstead. I lead the industrial IoT team at Microsoft. You know, I've, I've been born and raised in Germany, but I spend a lot of time in, in Ireland and the United States, hence the accent. Before I joined Microsoft, I was working for a computer games company that was then bought by Microsoft. I've been with Microsoft for 17 years now, um, so a long time. been in the embedded space, uh, which is now really called IoT, most of my time at Microsoft, you know, started with Windows CE, then Microsoft Automotive, then worked on, you know, Windows IoT, uh, you know, the Windows IoT core product, which is also something that, you know, was introduced when IoT became mainstream and then moved over with my team to the Azure team and, and started the Azure Industrial IoT engineering team there. Sounds great. As you say, you're in charge of uh, industrial IoT. That's the main topic for today. I assume that most of our listeners have uh, heard and um, some of them may have actually been using this acronym themselves. But please, maybe you can give us a quick introduction. What is IoT and what is there for industrial IoT? Sure. So IoT in general refers to connecting devices to the internet. So devices can be um, coffee machines, but they can also be trucks. They can be machines uh, in factories, oil rigs, planes, whatever it may be. So a lot of the components that uh, make internet connectivity cost-effective uh, became you know, widespread and, and cheaper. So a lot of companies are now, you know, see value in connecting their products to the internet to collect telemetry data to see how people are using their products, also to potentially update the products. Um, one of the big successes there certainly is Tesla, which builds over-the-air updates into their cars from the start, which was a big help for them. You know, but nowadays almost anything can be connected to the internet in a cost-effective way. So in general, IoT is like the 
you know, the third internet, the first internet people refer to as the, the web, the World Wide Web, where we're connecting companies to one another. Then the, the second generation internet was, you know, the Facebooks and the YouTubes of this world where we're connecting people. And the third large, you know, technological improvement or technological revolution in the internet is IoT. You know, lots of analysts think that IoT is by far the largest opportunity in terms of revenue potential for the IT space. And specifically, manufacturing and natural resources is by far the largest opportunity within IoT. So industrial IoT then refers to, you know, the IoT of connecting industrial assets. So those assets, like I mentioned before, can be you know, uh, machines or entire factories, oil rigs, refineries, all of these things fit under uh, the industrial IoT space. And, you know, in terms of vertical markets that fall under industrial IoT, certainly discrete and process manufacturing are part of that, but also the energy sector, so producing energy, building automation in a lot of cases, especially when it comes to commercial buildings, would fall under industrial IoT, mining, lots of people forget mining, um, that's also industrial IoT. So as you can see, it's a pretty big field. And, you know, most of the large companies or the largest companies in the world, um, I think if you look at the top 10 largest companies in the world, apart from Walmart, which is, I think, the largest all up, the other nine are all in the industrial space. Okay, maybe we'll come to that later on. So that's a great overview, really. So what does what role does Microsoft, and I, I really don't believe you need to introduce your company to our listeners, but what role then does Microsoft play in this area of the industrial IoT? Sure. So, I mean, Microsoft has always been a platform company, a platform provider, You know, our business model is mainly focused on building software platforms that people integrate into their products. So quite different to some of the other cloud vendors out there. And, you know, fundamentally, our biggest business is the enterprise business, working with partners, working with other companies, providing software platforms to enable their products to be, for example connected, you know, to get business insights from data that they're collecting, connecting different companies to one another. So B2B connectivity, those kind of things. And especially for industrial IoT. So we've been, you know, with the Windows product, we've been active in the industrial space for the last 30 years. So, you know, this is not something we've discovered recently. You know, we've been in this space, we have the largest partner network also in the, in the industrial space. And, you know, we've been active there for a very long time. And, and clearly now with folks going through what they call their digital transformation, you know, producing products that are connected to the Internet, but also automating and digitizing business processes, changing entire revenue models from, you know, selling devices or maybe software licenses to, you know, providing a service and, you know, generating reoccurring revenue. And so all of that fits into this space, into the industrial IoT space. And, you know, with the cloud, specifically our Azure product, a lot of people see the value in, in now using Azure 
using the cloud for providing those uh, new products and you know providing or helping with the digital transformation using cloud technology. Right. And as I mentioned, I assume that working from home as over here still most people do with first companies kind of slowly getting back to be working to be uh, manufacturing. I understand that you run a dedicated engineering team. Is that out of the common Munich space? Is that a global team? Is that uh, based in, in other parts of the world as well? Yeah, so we've had we had a dedicated engineering team for industrial IoT now for five years. We really doubled in size every year, so uh, exponential growth. And the team is started out as a Munich-based team because you know we realized that you know the center of gravity for manufacturing appears to be Munich. <laughs> um, so you know we we set up the team there. Uh, now we have also uh, members in the team in Redmond. So it's really a, a global team, but it's, like I say, it's a product team, right? So um, usually people associate, you know, Microsoft Munich with the um, sales organization that is in Munich, which is very large. I think it's the largest outside of Redmond. But we're actually in a separate building and also with a separate charter. And, you know, we're part of the Microsoft Corporation, um, not the Microsoft Germany GmbH. So really, we're part of that core product development team that is usually associated with Redmond. As you talk about the direction you're going, can you share some elements of the specific strategy for industrial IoT with our listeners? Sure. So we've had early successes with going a new route at the time for Microsoft when uh, Satya Nadella took over as CEO He set a new course for the company and embraced openness. And, you know, we realized pretty quickly that, you know, especially in the manufacturing space, this can be a huge competitive advantage. And we went all in with openness. And, of course, with, with the new direction of Microsoft took at the time, this was around 2014, 2015, it was easy for us to, to get support as well from our senior leadership team for this. And we said, okay, well, if we're embracing openness for the manufacturing space, well, what does that look like? So we said, really, we need four pillars to, you know, make openness complete. Uh, the first one is to use an open platform, right? So APIs must be based on industry standards, you know, like, you know, HTTP REST, you know, certificates based on X509, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so user authentication using OpenID, all of those things. The second pillar we identified was open source. So we really embraced open source in the team. Everything we do in the industrial IoT space is open source. And that must be clarified because a lot of people associate open source with, you know, demos at Microsoft. That's not the case. These are Microsoft products, but they're just developed in the open. So, you know, they have the normal support that any other Microsoft product has. But again, you know, you can look at all the source code. It's all on GitHub and you can follow our development there and also ask questions, log bugs, preferably also provide the bug fix if you have it. right? But um, it, we also investigate them ourselves, of course. The third pillar we said is important is open standards, so specifically industrial standards. And that's why 
you know, we started collaborating with the OPC Foundation very, very closely. I mean, we were always involved with the OPC Foundation, but we really started to accelerate our um, collaboration with the OPC Foundation uh, when we set the strategy for industrial IoT. And then finally, the fourth pillar is using open data models, right? So a lot of folks, once they kind of figure out how to send data to the cloud, and once they understand that context is important, once they start contextualizing the data, making, you know, adding semantic meaning to it, they realize that the data model itself is super important. And we decided to use an open data model based on OPC way. And we're the only ones using OPC way data models as a cloud provider. I mean, there's lots of industrial IoT clouds out there. Obviously, we're the only ones who really have an open data model at the core of our products, which means that with our product, the vendor lock-in is reduced, if not removed completely. I recall myself uh, when I was working for something, and that's a couple of years uh, back, that the, the big discussion about uh, introducing open source also into the area of OPC data, that was kind of a big a structural change. Open source is not the same as free beer. You may want to make a comment on that one for those listeners that maybe still do confuse one for the other. And very interesting to hear that as you've been embracing openness, it may not come to us as a surprise that what I heard Stefan Hoppe, as our listeners um, who have been here before may know, He's the president of the OPC Foundation. And he mentioned that your company, Microsoft, is a big, if not the biggest, contributor of open source globally. Would you agree? Uh, why does he say so? Maybe you can give us an example there. Sure. So, I mean, first of all, what does open source really mean? Does it mean that the software has to be free, as in free beer, so no cost? No, it does not. Um, I remember... When I went to college in, in Trinity College in Dublin, we had Richard Stallman. Uh, we invited him over. He gave a talk. And he said, lots of people confuse that, right? I mean, he's kind of the godfather of open source, if you like. And he, you know, he's, he's behind the, the general public license. And he said, you know, if you can make money with open source, by all means, do that. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to give it away for free. It just means that, you know, you have nothing to hide when it comes to the implementation of your software, right? And you can protect yourself from, you know, piracy through, through the license agreement, right? So that's why uh, GPL was built. But it's not, a, it's not the case that you have to give open source software away for free. In our case, in fact, that is the case, right? So all industrial IoT software that Microsoft produces is available for free. But that was, you know, a separate discussion and a separate choice we've made. Because for us, I mean, industrial IoT software obviously uh, is an enablement for connecting solutions to one another and building solutions. And of course, you know, we, we make our money with Azure consumption like other cloud providers do as well. So we make money on the consumption, not on the software itself or the software license. So that's a big difference. So think of open source in terms of free speech rather than free beer, right? So regarding why Stefan Hoppe said, you know, we're, we're a large contributor, 
to the OPC Foundation, it's it's true, right? We're actually the number one open source software contributor to the OPC Foundation by a factor of 10. So we contributed so far 10 times more software than any other member or any other person contributing to the OPC Foundation. And why we did that? Well, it was built, first it was necessity, right? We needed an OPC OA stack that runs on Azure, right? So we, at the time, .NET Standard came out, which is a cross-platform version of .NET. And we took a, an older .NET stack, which, you know, uh, the OPC Foundation used for prototyping purposes. We ported it to .NET Standard. We hardened it. We fixed a bunch of bugs. We cleaned up the code. We refactored some of the code. Uh, we threw out some legacy stuff. You know, and then we contributed that stack back to the OPC Foundation to accelerate adoption, right? And now it's the reference stack that the OPC Foundation has. It's on GitHub as well, on the OPC Foundation GitHub, and it's super popular. So we went from, you know, basically just Microsoft using it to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are now using this stack. We have over a thousand visitors a day on this particular GitHub repo. Lots of forks, lots of stars, so it's very, very popular. I think it's the most popular OPC way stack on GitHub, or maybe the second most popular. I can't remember, but we're up right up there. Um, and you know, it's it's great to see people uh, using it and also contributing fixes and improvements to it. We got lots of feedback from folks, you know, saying it's it's great that this stack is available. It's driving also folks to OPC UA, accelerating the adoption of OPC UA, which is a nice side effect. But mainly, we really wanted to make sure that the stack gets a lot of adoption and it's used in products, and it is now, right? So we obviously use it in our own products, and I know other members of the OPC Foundation are also using it in their products. Thanks for sharing that, Eric. So now we understand why that is Stefan's believe the hard numbers behind one quick question you say there's several forks there as well can you a little bit talk about that concept and in the end does that mean that people using the main line and other people using a fork in the end it will be the details of the OPC UA spec that will make sure that a client using one version, not sure if that's the right word, will be able to connect to a server maybe using another version? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, in general, if you're uh, making a contribution, you first make a fork, right? You don't immediately check into mainline. Uh, most folks can't do that anyway. Uh, only the OPC Foundation is allowed to do that. So you'd make a fork, you basically copy, take a copy of the source code, you make your changes, and then you create what's known as a pull request to basically say, look, here are my changes. You can compare your fork with the mainline and say, okay, these changes are good, let's take them over. So that's why people make forks. In general, when it comes to compatibility, the OPC Foundation has a great mechanism for this through their test labs. And we actually went through that process with the reference stack. So we got the reference stack, the .NET standard stack approved as being certified for compliance. And we have the certificate from the OPC Foundation on our wall in the office to prove it, right? Um, so we framed that certificate. 
And, you know, it's, it's what people should do, right? To basically verify that you can interoperate with your OPC UA-based product with other products. Uh, you should go through the CTT, as it's known, the certification test tool. It's a, a process that you can initiate by yourself as a, as a company building products based on OPC UA. And then, you know, there's a test lab in US and there's a test lab in Europe that then test your product once you're ready. And then you get feedback if things go well or um, if they don't go well, then you need to fix those issues and, and resubmit for another round of certification testing. Thanks for clarifying. Yes, we'll be talking about compatibility uh, certification specifically in a separate edition. Since when has Microsoft been working with the OPC Foundation? As I mentioned before, we were involved from the start and um, we basically, you know, didn't do much with OPC UA until we discovered it in 2015 and made it part of our strategy. You know, since then, we've been super active. We obviously joined the Technical Advisory Council. We got voted as onto the board of directors. I'm now also Microsoft's representative in the technical control board of the OPC Foundation, as well as the marketing control board, the two boards that are sitting directly below the board of directors. We were part of the uh, working groups, Unified Architecture Working Group, the Security Working Group, the uh, Semantic uh, Modeling Working Group, and also the Asset Management Working Group. So we're very, very active we're contributing to the uh, newer versions of the OPC way specification. We're making sure that we participate in marketing activities to get the word out, um, to you know explain what OPC way is and so on. And nowadays we're seen as one of the the major yeah contributors to the OPC way standard. One of the big things was the PubSub extension, which is part fourteen of the OPC way spec. So we worked very very closely with the opc foundation on that we made a lot of suggestions and also helped write some of the paragraphs of the specification to explain what you know the publish subscribe mechanism really is it's it's gotten a lot of press with the field level communication working group um, there you also use it but it's also heavily used for cloud communication um, using opc way for example a lot of people don't know that um, opc way actually leverages mqtt as a cloud transport, a lot of folks think that OPC UA competes with MQTT. It's actually the contrary. OPC UA leverages MQTT and you know uses it for for communication with the cloud. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've discussed it in a in a former edition. We will be talking about PubSub field level communication in the future. We have made clear in the past that uh, OPC UA is the overall architecture, which is agnostic towards protocols like as an example you just gave the mqtt as you as microsoft have been putting quite an effort into supporting opc way maybe you can share with us a number of products maybe one or the other listener will have heard of one or two of them sure so we we started off in 2015 and released the opc publisher the OPC publisher really connects to OPC way enabled assets using machines, PLCs, et cetera, et cetera, and then uses PubSub in the publish subscribe format to send telemetry from those assets to the cloud. 
So that was the first product uh, we showed. We, we launched it at Hanover Messe 2015. Lots of folks really loved it, and uh, we've been continuously improving that. Then in, in 2016, we um, launched a solution accelerator called Connected Factory. It also uses OPC UA end-to-end, including OPC UA security end-to-end for you know keeping the connection from the asset all the way to the cloud and back secure. Again, it's a solution accelerator. We, we're not in the solution business. Our partners are. We just felt that it was important to show our partners what a solution could look like or a starting point to a solution could look like, and that's Connected Factory. Then the year after that, we launched OPC Twin, which creates a digital twin of your OPC UA-enabled asset. It also handles communication in a secure way from the cloud back to the asset, for example, to call uh, methods to read and write data and so on. Lots of folks are worried about that, you know, having cloud connectivity to an asset in a factory. But the way we implemented it keeps the firewall closed. The firewall to outside traffic is closed. So we create an outbound connection from the OPC twin, which runs in a gateway in the factory. And we made sure that security is our number one goal there. So that's OPC twin. It also allows browsing the OPC way information model from the cloud. To this day, we're the only cloud vendor that has that functionality. And obviously, since we're using the OPC way data model, for us, it was a no-brainer to to add that to our portfolio. Then the following year, we launched OPC Vault, which is a global discovery server implementation, which is part 12 of the OPC spec. The global discovery server also handles certificate management for OPC way-enabled assets. There wasn't a commercial version available, uh, certainly not a truly global one, which runs in the cloud. So we built OPC Vault based on our Azure Key Vault product, which is a secure storage and certificate management solution. And, you know, that's why we called it OPC Vault. And it manages security and certificates for OPC servers and clients. And then the year after that, so last year in 2019, we uh, launched the Azure Industrial IoT platform. Again, the whole thing uh, is on GitHub. It basically extends and combines all the products that I've just mentioned into a single platform offering, which can be deployed using a single single click of a button. You know, speed is super important right now because a lot of folks see IoT as this nebulous thing that they don't really understand. And obviously, they, they want to try it out before they invest heavily, right? So POCs or proof of concepts are you know the day-to-day business of our sales team and you know you really want to be able to deploy the solution and then connect assets in a matter of hours rather than a matter of weeks or months right so we've enabled that with the azure industrial it platform and again everything that i just mentioned is open source on github Great. We'll talk about OPC Vault security um, in a moment. Let's concentrate on what most of our listeners will have heard of before as a, as a terminology. Uh, you mentioned the Azure uh, Industrial and IoT platform. In how, what way is your strategy with regards to Azure as an uh, industrial IoT cloud platform maybe different from others? What would be your USP there? Well, the unique selling point is definitely the openness aspect. So, you know, like I mentioned before, our platform 
is as open as you can possibly get while still leveraging managed services. So our customers say, we don't want to be locked in. You know, we want to be able to leave when we feel like it, right? But, you know, at the same time, we don't want to manage the solution ourselves, right? We want you to manage it. So we're, we're leveraging the managed services that are available on Azure where you really just have to use it. You don't have to do anything. You click a button, you have the service available, and then you just use it. You don't have to worry about updates or keeping it running or you know, making sure it scales or anything like that. It's just there. So combining those two things together is a winning formula, right? And you know, we're still the most open cloud platform, especially industrial IoT cloud platform available. A lot of our competitors are choosing a different strategy, and we believe the strategy on openness is, is the right one for us, right? And that's why we focused on that. So what has that strategy of openness done for you as an organization as regards to your market position relative to other industrial IoT cloud platforms? You don't need to, you may uh, use other names, but <laughs> where are you standing there? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, can't tell market share data, but I can tell you that analysts are now treating our platform as the leading platform. So we've obviously, you know, worked with analysts when they create their magic quadrants. And, you know, the most recent ones that came out are the um, IDC one and the Forrester magic quadrant one, and both of them list us as leading in the industrial IoT cloud platform space, which is great. Of course, we were super excited to get that honor. And, you know, I think personally, the, the strategy around openness has a lot to do with it. So, you know, we're, we're really happy where we are right now. Another reason why may be the time it takes to connect a machine to the Azure industrial IoT platform. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So, I mean, uh, like I mentioned in, when I talked about our products, I mean, speed is of the essence, especially in POC scenarios where people just want to see, okay, what is this IoT thing, right? How does it work for me? The most basic use case that a lot of people start with is asset monitoring, basically just uh, you know collecting some telemetry data from an asset like a machine and, you know, seeing it on a global dashboard very quickly after that, they, they want to calculate their overall equipment efficiency or effectiveness, you know, and for example, Connected Factory does that out of the box. So you can click on a button, deploy Connected Factory, you know, and, and start connecting assets to it. We've built an installer for the, for the edge gateway can set up a VM or just buy an industrial gateway and, and, you know, use the installer on that. Again, it's fully automated. You just have to give um, your gateway a name and, and tell it to where to connect to in the cloud and, and that's it, right? And then, you know, discovery, because OPC Way enables discovery, discovery is automatic. So as soon as you ran the installer, discovery automatically starts and starts discovering assets if you don't want that, you can also type in IP addresses of your assets manually. Some folks don't like, you know, network scanning on their shop floor network. So that also, uh, you can turn it off. But in general, folks love the simplicity of just, you know, running an installer, getting everything up and running in minutes. And then, you know, within literally in less than an hour, you can, you can 
see all your OPCU-enabled assets, and you're on your way. If the asset does not support OPC UA yet, obviously, we know that things move slowly in the industrial space. So obviously, there's a lot of assets out there that are not OPC UA enabled yet. And for those we've worked with, for example, your former employer, Softing, and, and others to create um, plugins for our edge, for our gateway solution that then handles those devices and you know translate from whatever proprietary you know interface that asset has to OPC way and then we have that consistent information model that is so important and you know we send everything to the cloud uh, using OPC way pops up so again you have a consistent data stream you have a consistent data model so you can do your analytics on a global scale comparing all your assets to one another with ease and again, in the cloud, we have pre-built dashboards to, to visualize the data, to run analytics on it. Machine learning tools are getting better and better every day as well. So uh, really, um, you know, you can do a POC in a few days with our industrial IoT cloud platform, which is exactly what most folks want. They just want to see that it works. They want to see it's easy. And then, you know, they start thinking about, you know, a production rollout. Sounds very much like the USB style, let's say, printer, or these days maybe more like headset, as I've just been doing a couple of days ago, a plug-in. And I, I kind of feel through my uh, microphone, maybe people on the other side listening, are looking forward to be trying out exactly the way you said, you know, plug in your device and connect it up. So what else can you share with us regarding Microsoft OPC UA technology and OPC foundation commitment? Sure. So one of the ideas we had, it was actually our executive vice president, Jason Zander's idea. He looked at our Hanover Messe demo and we had this big wall of PLCs at the Microsoft booth. And, you know, all of them were obviously connected using our products to the Azure cloud. And he said, that's great. Can we get a wall like that to our Microsoft technology centers and our executive briefing centers around the world? And I said, well, I'll ask the OPC Foundation if we can, we can collaborate on our project. And, you know, one wall turned into 40. <laughs> and we actually built 40 walls with PLCs from the leading PLC vendors on it. Uh, you got, you know, Rockwell, Siemens, Schneider, Mitsubishi, Beckhoff. Uh, we have also an RFID scanner. We have a, a barcode scanner. So people can interact with the wall, scan barcodes and scan RFID tags, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we connected it all up. Uh, we built the walls. We shipped them worldwide uh, to 40 locations. And they're sitting at an executive briefing center or a Microsoft Technology Center near you. And we built a obviously a dashboard that you know shows the telemetry for all the 40 walls and you know obviously also can interact with the walls from the cloud, right? So that's bi-directional communication. We see it as a big success. I mean, we still use the walls in trade shows, et cetera, because it's just easy to you know put the wall onto a truck and, and ship it to a trade show. And it really tells a great message that, you know. Not only do the PLC vendors see the benefit of supporting an open standard like OPC UA, but also with embracing 
open standards, we see acceleration and we see market adoption as a as a result, right? So that's what the OPC wall explains. And you know, it's been it's been a buzz working on this project, getting your hands dirty, building up the wall, and then also making sure that each MTC and each EBC has a working wall that they can leverage. Sounds great. Yeah, I see the walls still every now and then, not at the moment as some of the trade shows are being pushed out. No internet, no internet of things. We talked about it, or you explained it at the very beginning, without security. What does Microsoft do to provide maximum security in general and as related to OPC UA with already built-in security? Yeah, I mean, you know, security obviously is paramount, especially when, you know, you're controlling critical infrastructure, like in many cases. So, you know, we built security into our values from the start. So we said everything we do is secure by default. So a lot of folks use secure by design as a, as a principle. Uh, secure by design means that you, you think about security from the start. So when, when you design your product, secure by default goes one step further and you know says we don't just build security features into the product we also switch them on because unfortunately in the manufacturing space today assets may have great security features but you know you take that asset out of the box and you find that they're all turned off and especially in the 80s with windows server we learned the hard way that a lot of customers are overwhelmed with trying to enable the security features and then really never knowing if they did it right and there's no security holes. So instead, what we said, we will turn all the security features on by default. Basically, when you take the piece of software into production, it's already secure. That may mean that some features don't work the way you expect them to because they're blocked by you know authentication requirements or whatever. But it's a better approach rather than you know, keeping the asset insecure and then asking the customer to figure out how to how to make it secure, right? So that's the first principle. The other one is defense in depth, which is also a concept we've adopted at Microsoft for many, many years. So defense in depth basically means that every part of the system that interacts with the system is secure, right? So you don't just do a perimeter defense but you know every asset within your environment is secure which means that a hacker will have to go through several barriers to get to the valuable data that he or she is looking for and that hopefully means that the hacker will eventually give up and say this is too hard right so defense in depth is something we've also utilized for example in connected factory where you know we don't just secure the dashboard we we also secure the path to the assets we secure the the asset itself we encrypt all the traffic uh, in both directions sometimes encrypting the data twice also uh, encrypting the data at rest which is also some some folks tend to forget right so they they encrypt the data in transit, but then they store it unencrypted somewhere on the file system. And then eventually that file system is compromised and the data is, is siphoned off. So you have to have defense in depth as a design principle. And then, like I mentioned, OPC Vault, you know, manages security settings and security certificates for OPC assets. And, you know, we leverage OPC way security throughout 
the first thing we did is turn off the security none uh, security profile, which obviously means no security. So therefore, something we threw out. And, you know, again, we're unfortunately one of the only few companies that have OPCUA enabled assets secure by default because security profile none is, is turned off. And again, you know, that means folks that don't understand certificates, you know, security certificates will struggle at first to make it work. But with OPC Vault, we really try to simplify that process as much as possible. We're also campaigning for the automatic installation of certificates such that they can be automatically rolled and they, they're not valid for 30 years, right? So make your certificate valid for half a year and then you automatically renew your certificate every six months. So that's the better approach. And for that to work, it needs to be automated, right? So this is unfortunately an optional feature in OPC way and a lot of folks don't implement it yet. And, you know, we're, we're really pushing the industry hard to support the automatic installation of security certificates. And that feature is called GDS Push if folks uh, are interested. So it's also something that, you know, Microsoft is campaigning for quite significantly. It's not just, OPC way is not just a checkbox, right? There's different profiles, there's different security profiles, there's different data profiles. There are optional security features that you need to specify in your requirements document, otherwise you won't get them, right? So it's important to fully understand what you're asking for. Don't just ask for OPC way, ask for specific profiles, ask for specific security features, and please, please, please ask for automatic certificate installation. That was very clear. Yeah, I do recall the different uh, options within the OPC UA profiles. But I think you give a very clear and strong message for a, a default using the available security features. So what does the future hold as far as Microsoft supporting OPC UA is concerned? Sure. I mean, OPC way doesn't stand still, right? So the OPC way specification is constantly developed further. Features that are no longer in use are deprecated to keep it manageable. I mean, OPC way, it, it looks overwhelming if you first look at the specification. I mean, there's, you know, 15, 16 parts now, uh, each specification, several hundred pages, and you go, I, I can never read this, right? The good news is you don't have to. Right. I mean, uh, first of all, most folks will just buy a stack rather than building one. Right. And the other thing is not everything in the OPC way specification applies to every use case. That's that's why we have profiles. But in general, you know, when it comes to what else is is happening for OPC way, you may know that the German Machine Builders Association, VDMA, is currently standardizing uh, the information models per machine type, which is super critical work that we also support. We're a VDMA member, and we uh, think that this is actually the future. So OPC Way specifies how to build an information model, but doesn't specify for a particular machine type what that information model should look like, right? But the VDMA is now going on a massive scale project to, to define just that. This will mean that folks will eventually have standardized information models. So based on the machine type, you already know what the information model will look like, right? So you can build your dashboard, build your analytics pipeline, 
before you see the machine for the first time. Or if all machines of a certain type support it, that means you automatically can display machine data in that dashboard or in that analytics pipeline. And this is a huge advantage, right? So this is currently underway. For this to work, you know, complex data types are important because a lot of these information models use complex data types. So basically think of a complex data type like a struct in C++, if you're familiar with C++. It's like a combination of, you know, built-in types to make a new type. And, you know, uh, we contributed a complex type parser to the OPC Foundation, you know, obviously to enable support for those VDMA companion specifications. As machine builders are now adopting those companion specifications, they're coming to Microsoft to see how this complex type processing looks like. And, you know, since we contributed to the OPC Foundation, it's all open source and available for everybody to use. You know, there's going to be more and more expansion of OPC OA in other verticals of industrial IoT. Uh, right now, there's a consolidation happening in the process automation industry, you know, which is great. There's standard information models built uh, like PADIM, which is the process automation device information model, right? Uh, it's, it's an OPC OA information model. Folks like the Fieldcom Group, uh, Namur, the Open Group, um, all of them are now flocking to OPCOA and uh, basing their reference architecture on OPCOA, which is which is great. Uh, the other thing that is certainly happening now is OPCOA, although it's an American nonprofit, the OPC Foundation has seen main adoption in Europe and Asia. So definitely, most adoption has happened in Europe, followed by Asia. I would say, in the US, it's still relatively unknown. I mean, people know about OPC Way, but they haven't necessarily built it into their products. So this is changing now. There's a lot of momentum now building in, in the US and, and Canada as well, which is great. So we definitely see, you know, those markets now also adopting OPC Way quite significantly. And uh, this is this is super important. In terms of other technology, what how OPC Way is, is developing, um, certainly Building OPC Way servers into containers is something that folks have asked for. Containers are basically a software distribution mechanism that you know is getting a lot of traction, especially with cloud platforms. So you know we contributed container support to the OPC Foundation for servers. You know we contributed the functionality to create NuGet packages, which is something that a lot of developers like because it's super simple to integrate a library into your product this way using NuGets. So this is all kind of how OPC way continues to improve and move with the times. There's also new security profiles with, you know, elliptic curve cryptography uh, being introduced, et cetera, et cetera. So it doesn't stand still. There's clearly always room for improvement. Loads of things happening. Thanks for mentioning a German Machine Builders Association, VDMA. Folks interested may go back two or three uh, editions. I had an interview with one of the representatives. Yeah, we're getting to the end. Let's maybe talk a little bit about the topic of the day, the topic of, uh, of the months, uh, so to say, globally, COVID-19. What challenges and opportunities does COVID-19 have for OPC UA? 
Yeah, I mean, if there is a silver lining in this current crisis, in this global pandemic, uh, certainly it's folks are now thinking about accelerating their digital transformation or in general their automation of their production processes, which of course is great for OPCUA as an enablement technology. You know, I wish it would have happened through other circumstances, but this one happened because of or this particular increase that we're seeing is, is certainly as as folks see, you know, supply chains are, are fragile and manual production is also super fragile, especially when, when health and safety can't be guaranteed, right, in the factory. So these are all kind of the enablers or the the results of this pandemic. And hopefully something good will come out of this. And, you know, we, we get more manual labor on the production line automated because I don't know a single person who works on a production line who, who really enjoys it, right? Um, so there will be new jobs and other jobs created through automation. As we know, most of the time, more jobs are created than existed. So from that perspective, it's not a question of destroying jobs, but uh, creating, creating new ones, you know, in, in a different capacity. Thank you. That's a nice uh, close off uh, silver line, as you say, looking at COVID-19 also as a chance in addition to the current threat. Eric, thanks a lot for sharing the Microsoft view on the role OPC Way plays in industrial IoT. If you, dear listener, want to learn more about other uh, OPC UA activities, pieces of the technology, OPC Foundation, you may want to listen. I just referred to it already to one of the preceding OPC Foundation podcast editions or visit the website at opcfoundation.org. If you have a proposal for topics or maybe you're interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast, Maybe you want to join one of the companion specification working groups, or maybe you want to become a member of the OPC Foundation or otherwise, please mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. We'll put both the website URL and the uh, mail address in the podcast notes. In future editions, I will be doing interviews with guests from Abbott, Backhoff, IBM, many other companies on such topics as OpenSES, Brownfield, and certification. It was great to have you with us today. If you like what you heard, give us a thumbs up, spread the news. Looking forward to have you with us again. Eric, thank you very much for having been my guest today. Thank you, Peter. <laughs>